Welcome to the Atticus Report, the podcast about music that's good for something. On today's episode, we will be visiting Southern Africa in search of music that's good for something. We'll be learning about guitars for Swaziland, a nonprofit effort co-founded by Atticus Report co-host Stephen Doster. In addition to guitars for Swaziland, Stephen will be telling us about his most recent trip to Southern Africa with songwriter and retired U.S. diplomat Greg Engel as part of the Arts Envoy program sponsored by the U.S. State Department. And later in the program, Stephen and I will make a selection for the Music That's Good for Something Hall of Fame as we induct Paul Simon's epic album, Graceland. We have a great show planned for you, and we'll be right back with Stephen Doster, so stick around with us. Welcome back. I'm Rick Busby, your co-host. Here along with my illustrious co-host, Stephen Doster, here on the Atticus Report, we're going to be talking about music that's good for something today. We're going to be visiting Southern Africa, where Steve and our good friend Greg Engel just returned from a trip. Stephen, tell us about your recent trip to uh, Southern Africa there. Well, I went uh, for the second time with Greg Engel on uh, the Arts Envoy program. It's a program uh, music ambassadors for the State Department. And uh, the first, 2012, we went with... Uh, to Swaziland, and uh, this year we went to Lesotho. And uh, they're both two uh, countries in uh, southern Africa, uh, surrounded by South Africa. And uh, it was very exciting to go. Uh, I had met Greg when in Austin, Texas. I got a call from him, and he uh, had been spent his life in foreign service. And I found out that uh, we both lived on the same street in Wiesbaden, Germany, when we were kids, about a year apart, had a lot in common. And as I began to produce this uh, album for Greg, uh, I started going through his material and finding out some songs that really spoke to me that he seemed very passionate about, about Africa. And I started asking him about that and his experiences there. And one of the songs was about Nelson Mandela. Uh, it really touched me. So after your 2012 trip, it's, uh, you came back and you formed guitars for Swaziland with uh, some folks here in the Austin area. That was, was, were you inspired to do that as a result of that first trip there? Absolutely. Uh, it was all about, it was a uh, music diplomacy. And, and uh, that first trip, we spent a lot of time with children and uh, visiting orphanages. And uh, oftentimes uh, we would find ourselves in large rooms with, uh, at one point we were in a room with three or 400 Children and all of them, or most all of them, are AIDS orphans, and playing guitar for them. We would sing a, a few songs for them, and they would all sing back to us. And three hundred children singing to you in the, in the beautiful choral style of, of vocals that they have—it was mind-boggling. My experience over there, I, I would—I had many experiences like that because I found myself driving. Um, 
with members of the State Department up to the top of a mountain and meeting musicians playing instruments that I'd never seen before, that they made by hand, and uh, uh, drums made out of oil barrels and that they had uh, stretched inner tubes over the top of, and they, the sticks they would use uh, tire tread. That's one of the great powers about about music. Uh, I was fascinated when I was hearing the story from you and Greg in our interview about how industrious and how cool that is that they would use things that we would just see as cast off, but these are the materials they have to work with and, and how indomitable the musical spirit is around the world that no matter where you are and where you come from, that you can find musicality right there in your environment. halfway around the world and see people making instruments out of used oil drums and inner tubes and tire tread and then make a musicality out of that. that to me, that was one of the most fascinating aspects of the stories that you and Greg brought back from that trip. That's what it was, and it, and it was uh, well put, music spirit. Um, the spirit of music in, in that pure form is it's just a lovely experience and it reminds me or anybody probably uh, of why you started doing it in the first place for the the passion and the, the aesthetics and the love of melody and sound and dance and, and uh, you know it was an eye-opening thing for me it was a slap in the face. Before we went to the break, I wanted to focus in on a little bit about the work of uh, Guitars for Swaziland. I know y'all have a website, guitarsforswaziland.org. We want our listeners to to check that out, guitarsforswaziland.org. And you can learn all about this effort uh, of Stephen and them's to bring musical instruments to children in South Africa. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit about how you were first inspired. And then when you came back to the States, how you kind of got Guitars for Swaziland off the ground. 
Well, there was a moment when we were leaving one of the orphanages and we were in a, driving down a, a rocky road, a dirt road, and for a good while. And uh, we spotted some children that had come to the, the show that afternoon and to the school that weren't uh, from the orphanage that were leaving. And I noticed them because they were wearing uh, their blue uniforms. And when they saw us passing in the van, one of the little boys started jumping up and down on the side of the road playing air guitar. And it was just like this image that I couldn't get out of my head. Uh, I went back to the city. I was giving a, a we were having a talk uh, with a, some of the local musicians and people. And a, one of the guys at the end of it said, uh, you know, when you go home, you probably have a house. And I said, yeah, I do. And he goes, you probably have a car. I said, yeah, I've got a couple of cars. And he goes, don't forget about us. Report. This is Rick Busby, your co-host. We're here with my co-host, Stephen Doster, and his good friend, Greg Engel. Welcome to the Atticus Report. How are you doing today? I'm glad to be here. Good, good. So tell us about, uh, you were with the State Department for, for, I guess, for your career, actually, right? I was a career diplomat. I served uh, for about 26 years with the U.S. State Department, had 11 overseas assignments, um, uh, it was a great career. Wouldn't trade it for anything, but I've been living uh, in Austin uh, a little bit on and off since 2006 and have uh, evolved into a, uh, a daily ritual that mostly involves uh, writing songs and singing and performing music. So what was your favorite post? My favorite assignment was South Africa. I was in South Africa from 1996 to 1999, so that was just 1996 was just two years after their first multiracial election, meaning the end of apartheid. It was an incredibly exciting time to be in South Africa. Optimism was really high. Nelson Mandela was president. I actually saw him on several occasions, and then toward the very end of my assignment and the end of his presidency in 1999, I found myself seated two chairs away from him at, at, at the front table of a banquet, and that was truly one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Born an overhood boy, transcribed the home of his class. How could a bus so humble yield such a giant hug? Musically for me during the time that I was there in the late 90s, I think the most exciting thing that happened was to be invited to a very small concert of Johnny Clegg called the White Zoo, right, right. Uh, relaunching with a group called Jaluka. And those guys were fantastic. And the energy of this relaunch was so, so amazing. Yeah. 
Tell us about the Arts Envoy Program. The Arts Envoy Program is one that the State Department has run for for many, many years, sometimes under different uh, names. And it's a cultural exchange program. And so what they do is bring musicians from other countries to perform in the United States and then send U.S. musicians to perform in other countries to conduct songwriting workshops, master's classes, get to know the musicians there, uh, interact with the population in different ways. So it's, it's a cultural exchange program. And it, uh, from everything I've experienced, both as sort of a recipient of musicians when I was overseas at consulates and embassies, receiving these musicians, and then more recently as a musician, uh, it's all positive. It's an amazing way uh, to share experiences with other countries. Music is truly an international language, and you can say that or hear that, but you don't really know what it means until you get over there and you're making music with uh, these musicians who come from completely different musical traditions. in 08, after 26 years, and then when did you first be on the other side of this Arts Envoy type program as a musician as opposed to being part of the ambassador team? In 2012, uh, Stephen and I were invited to go to uh, Swaziland, and that was our first uh, first experience uh, with the Arts Envoy program. How'd that come about? They contacted you, you contacted them, how'd that come about? We actually developed a proposal uh, and sent them copies of our music, and because I had been of the State Department, uh, I knew some people, I knew the right people to send it to. In fact, uh, one, of the, one of the people I sent it to had, had been to Austin, and I had kind of hosted her for uh, a couple of days, um, and so I sent her our, our uh, proposal, and that got vetted around, and I was at home one day and I get this call and say, hey, how would you guys like to go to Swaziland? intriguing thing is uh, we had emulated a choir on the song uh, Nelson and uh, another song of Greg called Lady Africa on his record and then when I found out we were going to be working with uh, choirs from the orphanages uh, I suggested that they come perform with us at the Bushfire International Music Festival it's the biggest event they have every year there and we uh, opened the festival that year with them the uh, a group of about 17 children from the SOS Children's Village singing with us, singing now, the song. Is this, your, is this your first trip there or the most recent First one? trip. When we approached the, the orphanage, they were rehearsing the songs and just had them perfect, and they sounded wonderful. That was a, that was a real highlight to me, working with the kids. The, the kids had never been. They, they, uh, we found ourselves performing in orphanages for hundreds of children. Uh, maybe 300 or, or, or more, and they were all AIDS orphans. And uh, a lot of the that first trip we did, in, uh, and even the second, uh, is uh, reasons why us going was about, uh, p- part of it was about AIDS awareness, for where this generation of children will uh, uh, survive. 
This particular trip we met, we interacted with a lot of music. The first time I went, it went. I was really hoping to work with the African musicians, not playing American music, but playing their music. And uh, that's what happened this time. We, we, we did uh, work with a lot of kids and do a lot of songwriting workshops. Uh, we did so many things uh, that I forgot we had done some of them. But we, it was uh, working with a wide variety of musicians, traditional musicians, jazz musicians, uh, children writing their first songs. And it was, uh, that was, uh, it was, it was very exciting. So what's your favorite memory like of a musician over there in particular? Was there a particular individual that left a big impression on you? Well, I'd say that first uh, traditional band. We had driven up a mountain in a van, and uh, I saw these instruments that they clearly, I, I couldn't recognize what they were. One kind of looked like a guitar, like you would make out of wood and with a hammer and a nail. Uh, and then uh, a one-string instrument, that I'll let Greg pronounce the name of it. Let's see back, I think. Yeah. Nelson, Nelson, tell us truth How well have we learned your lesson There's so much more that we must do To live in the world of your vision They take a coat hanger and bend it and, and build this little rack above the drum head and then fill it with you know, the tops of Coke bottles, the, the cap. Huh. And then that made sort of a symbol-like like sound. Like a tambourine-type sound. On the, on the that is absolutely amazing <laughs> to think of the ingenuity to take materials, the only materials I, I'm assuming they have available to yeah. them to, yeah, to make instruments with and then to improvise that way. That is just an amazing testimony to musical spirit, I guess. It is, it is a testimony to musical spirit. That's the way I saw and it. They, and they have something that Seklankule was this uh, sort of a one-string violin yeah. uh, that, that you would see them playing in, in a number of different places. We saw the Seklankule and then these, these homemade guitars and drums. And the sound is fantastic. We had at one of our uh, traditional workshops and then later on uh, that evening uh, at a jam session we were playing with the traditional musicians and these guys they use the accordion in a very unusual way so it's not really of Africa but they use it in this way that I, I've never heard it before and we were up there and you know the accordion guys are standing up the guy with the Seklankula the one string Violin, everybody's just jamming away, you know. Uh, it was, and it, it's just a high. It's a, it, it's this experience where we're all part of the same thing. So Stephen was telling me a story about y'all's trip over there when he got back, and I'm, I'm use it as a prompt here because I'd like to rehear the story and fill in some details for myself. But it's my understanding that there was to be a concert or something. There was some political things going on while y'all were there. There was some. Oh, some actually there maybe was some fascination of a a general there, and uh, this was pretty alarming for me, uh, being that we were going to perform the next day in the open air in the middle of the city, and I was reassured that we were had nothing to worry about. But this assassination was uh, 
the talk of the of the land. It was an international uh, uh, affair. Uh, many people from the State Department that were our hosts, that's what they had on their plate to deal with. Um, that type of uh, idea uh, was something completely uh, foreign to me. Um, we ended up performing the show. It was for the French, uh, what was it? Yeah, Alliance Francaise, the French Cultural Center, was having a uh, musical festival we were part of. from which we all have come Wandered the world, seen a thing or two Met many an exotic young time Never another so full as you So surely have you captured my heart general, I think Lesotho is a, a, a very uh, positive, uh, has a positive relationship with the United States, uh, uh, which is why we were invited. But it was pretty shocking to see that happen. One more time at Joby, here I am, one more time at Joby. The last trip ended up being a life-shaming experience for me, because uh, this time we did uh, played with a lot of different musicians from different walks of life and it just uh, I found it to be uh, we were playing we played a concert at the ambassador's home uh, ambassador Harrington's home and it became one of my favorite shows I've ever played it wasn't long it wasn't anything special about it most of the people there were dignitaries and such um, but it was just interesting for me to think of all that has come before it to end up in this place you find yourself sometimes being here now and uh, going, well, this is an interesting place to be. And I had the archbishop right just a few feet in front of me, and he ended up being a gentleman that I would uh, talk with after the, the concert and found him to be a, a wonderful person uh, doing uh, with a very positive uh, uh, vibe to him. And uh, there was also between the, uh, I guess, is it the foreign minister that was there and, and our ambassador, there was a little unrest because uh, the Americans had spoken out uh, against this uh, blatant political assassination that had happened. Uh, and so it was, for a moment, that night, to me at least, it seemed that uh, everyone was together and transcending any differences and, and the music was the focus. Your music being this universal language, when we've got so many cultural barriers, economic barriers, political barriers, all these kinds of barriers put up or put up between nations and people and so forth, and yet music, even even when language itself is a barrier between people, that music somehow can cut through that and transcend and unite people. Well, and in connection with with the experience that, that Stephen just related. The ambassador told us at the end of the evening that it was the foreign minister was leaving. He was very enthusiastic about the uh, the concert, and he thanked the ambassador that after this week of tension, that that there was this concert where it was all about the music. 
Yeah. It wasn't political. It was uh, lovely. It was just this communication that we could all enjoy, that we could all be part of. And and the foreign minister was really grateful to uh, to be able to enjoy that with us. It's amazing. And the power of music is it communicates on so many different levels. Like, you know, it could incite a riot, but it could also calm a riot down. The best music uh, for me is, or it becomes timeless when no matter what you're talking about, your song can be talking about a specific situation. My, you know, my song about Mandela talks about Mandela, but really uh, in the refrain, it's talking about, hey, can we live up to the world that that he has projected mm-hmm. for us? Uh, so, so whenever. Uh, at least in my writing style, I'm always looking for something that's going to hit a chord in someone else. That universal connection, yeah. Yeah, that that there's a connection, and it's just part of the human experience. And I think that's the beauty of this Arts Envoy program, uh, because it's one thing to sit in Austin, Texas, among ourselves and listen and, you know, feel what, what we're writing and maybe understand the cultural aspect of it. But when you go out of that context... And you can have an experience like Stephen was talking about the the orphans at the SOS Children's Village just nailing the choruses to these two songs about Africa that I that I had written. Which we when we heard that as we walked up to the orphanage and we were outside the room and we heard them doing that, we stopped. We just got a, a chill. I mean, a, a good chill, sort of a, a vibration all over us. And then Amazing. this this last time in Lesotho. Uh, there was this really good choir, quite a well-known choir in Lesotho, singing with us at the uh, Ambassador's July 4th reception. Close the show with enough for everyone. Before that, we sang a song uh, that Greg had written in, uh, about uh, Woody Guthrie. And, uh, ah, Woody Guthrie. And, and, uh, <laughs> a wonderful song he wrote, uh, Woody's Ghost. Is that yeah. the it's, it's, we added verses from a Woody song, so it's actually been named now called Woody Walks This Land, but it started life as Woody's Ghost. Yeah. But uh, and, uh, at which point they... Uh, joined us in the song part of what the song is about uh, uh, is uh, Greg uh, in, in the song uh, a guy driving a truck picks up a hitchhiker and they turn on the radio and it's kind of maybe not that compelling music and the rider in the in the truck uh, it turns out to be Woody Guthrie Cruising down I-40 to some country radio they ask whatever happened to those old hillbilly shows they said they call it country now All sounds a lot like this He seemed a bit perplexed Not too sure he was impressed 
And we headed down the road Spinning lies and swapping jokes Mountful sun and tone We said I wrote a song or two A long, long time ago I was wondering about this country Kids still sing it, so I'm told Called this land is your land You might have heard it once or twice I said, my God, you're Woody Guthrie He just said, that's right And we headed down the road Spinning lies and swapping jokes Me and Woody's ghost And he sings about a song of his called This Land is Your Land. And he says, well, uh, people leave out two very important verses of right, that song. Right. The one's about the, the, the starving and, uh, and the hungry, and it's their land too. Not, it's not just a patriotic uh, thing. It uh, has a larger message. So we sang Greg's song, This Land is Your Land, and uh, for the grand finale of the thing, and then at the end of it sang my song, Enough for Everyone. And it was really powerful. When we were singing... Uh, uh, the, uh, Greg would sing the verses and I would sing the choruses with the choir this choir is incredible their, their version of our uh, national anthem made the hair stand on, on the back of my neck experience that and what a great way to close this great time we had there uh, but being on the stage with them uh, and uh, getting to to sing our songs uh, with that choir is a uh, I'll never forget well damn just think about that song you told me with a sigh folks don't sing all the verses I really don't know why most folks skip the ones Talk about the poor and the people left forgotten on the wrong side of the door. As I went walking, I saw his sign there, and on that sign he said, No trespassing. And on the other side, didn't say nothing. That sign was big for you and me. In the shadow of the steeple, 
Of, of, of songs where we, where we, uh, wherever we went, but another real high point were those nights, the jam sessions uh, at late, later in the evening when uh, we, uh, especially with the traditional musicians, when when uh, all rules went out the window and we just started letting it all flow. Uh, that was a, that was a, a great thing to happen, and again, uh, uh, more music diplomacy. Uh, we found out some very good news is that the place where we did this performance this, uh, uh, decided it was so successful that they would have a vi- become a venue for these musicians to start performing at. And since we've left, they've uh, gone there, I'm not sure how often, uh, but uh, give, given uh, performances at the, the uh, venue, the restaurant that we were at, which I thought was great. You know, that's, that's uh, giving them a place where they can go play in town and make some money and, and have a good meal and uh, that's that's what it's all about too uh, that made me feel good that we opened some doors that way for them Thank you for being with us on the Atticus Report. I'm your host, Rick Busby. We've been visiting with former U.S. diplomat and songwriter Greg Engel, along with our co-host, Stephen Doster, and we've been talking about their most recent trip to Southern Africa as part of the U.S. State Department's Arts Envoy Program. We've got lots more show ahead for you, including more of the interview with Greg and Stephen, as well as a peek at Paul Simon's Graceland Classic at the end of the show. So stick around. We've got lots more show. In the meantime, enjoy this musical break from Stephen Doster. sort of move into the home stretch here, are there any other potential projects that y'all will be participating in through the Arts Envoy program? Well, we certainly hope so. Uh, I think Stephen and I would both love to do this, you know, once a quarter would be fantastic. I think we would do it until there, we ran out of countries to do it in. And, <laughs> you know, we're both young, so <laughs> definitely have that iron in the fire, and every now and then I reach back to the State Department, try to poke the fire a little bit and see if we can get some more. It really requires an embassy to reach out and say, okay, we want these guys. Yeah, well, I know, I, I, knowing Stephen, I know that 
there's one time of the year when he would not be available to go anywhere, and that's during the NBA playoff times because the Spurs are usually in the hunt, and he's. Yeah, stays. I tried to tell him I was uh, doing some other stuff. Now they've outed. He stays close to home for the Spurs. I, 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 I hear a lot about the Spurs I'm, when we're on our trip, and I, I always ask him, "What what sport is that?" <laughs> well, the first one we went on was right. It was before the playoffs, but uh, before the finals, at least, but. Uh, they didn't. We didn't have access to internet very much, and so I, I found some resort that I could catch a bus over to and get. And you pay ten dollars. I could get on the internet for a minute to find out the score of last night's game or what have you. Yeah, it also gives us an opportunity to to mention. And I think you told me this before we went on the air today, but um, one of my favorite songs off of your most recent record is a song called "Pistol Pete," yeah. which is about Pete Maravich. The Yes. basketball legend and everything a wonderful wonderful song and i think you were telling me that that you got a chance to play that in south africa as well didn't you when you were on the well, trip I'm not in south africa i played it in lasutu in lasutu this time uh, that's right and it in particular i got into a, a discussion about it with the archbishop uh because he he knew about uh, pete maravich he had heard about him and uh, it was just a charming conversation to have about him and uh the p- whole purpose of writing the song was to write a, a ballad about somebody and to let people keep his legacy alive and uh, it was just a, a nice moment because he he liked the rhythm of the song which is kind of a, a second line new orleans thing born on a summer day like a dream come true daddy taught him basketball and he learned it through and through by the time he got to high school knew what he could do Ballarus set the world on fire Shoot hoops for LSU what I like about that song is, and I think I even described it to somebody, it's got this real bouncy kind of feel, which was which was perfect because it was about Pete Maravich yeah, and basketball, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it does it has a very bouncy kind of feel to it. It's so easy. It's, New Orleans thing. It's so easy to saddle up to that song. It's just a wonderful vibe on that song. Shaggy here and baggy socks out there on the floor. Shattered never records that had ever come before. Magic in his hands and feet, opening it door. With the Hawks, the Jazz, the Celtics, he gave us a little more, little more. Off the pick and roll, way downtown, like a dancer on his feet. Ain't nobody could shoot the ball quite like Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete. We stayed with the ambassador, who happens to be a, a good friend of mine, uh, is a big basketball fan, and, and he loved that song. But then what it prompted was a couple of days uh, with him where all I got to hear was the two of them talking about basketball. Yeah, it opened up the Pandora's box, so to speak. <laughs> well, I think, I think Stephen and I, in another life, we could we could do a sports podcast just as well as a music podcast. We're both big sports fans in, have in a lot of ways. Sports people on here and do a that would be a great idea. That'd be a great. I'd be totally open to any kind of conversation. I love music, having and, music and basketball go together quite well. We, there you we go, and, and, and you can do beer with both of them too. Yeah. I like that part. Beer can well, go beer both goes places. With that goes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not just for breakfast anymore. Speaking of beer, was there any good South South African beer? Southern not African? Not that beer? I know of. Uh, they're more known for their wines. South Africa had ah, a, a so very yeah. very famous for the wines. There was plenty of beer there, and I I probably had a few. They were, as I recall, they were South African beers. South African breweries is one of the largest breweries in there the world. Go. Oh, is that and right? It owns a lot of breweries throughout the throughout the world. So, Greg, you're the the songs that Stephen referred to of yours that reference Africa. I guess they, did these wind up on your record that he produced? They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and right. so have you. Have you written any more about South, about Africa or South Africa since you've been on these Arts on Boy programs, or were those written uh, before? Well, all I actually started to uh, write a song about Ethiopia, and I've got to resurrect that because it's very different musically than anything I've ever done. I right after we went to Swaziland, I took off for Ethiopia to spend two and a half years as the Peace Corps director there. So I only returned to Austin about a year ago. Uh, and I wrote several songs while I was away, and there was this Ethiopian thing that I have fragments of songs, probably like uh, the two of you that kind of hang around for years and might eventually right. be a song or something like that. But uh, nothing finished that was specifically about Africa. How about you, Stephen? Anything about Africa in, in your writings? No, uh, not, not about specific songs to that, but... Um, all that stuff kind of, whatever your experiences you have, it comes out in some way or, or the other. Um, I found uh, what I didn't want to ever do was to try to emulate, you know, the, the melodies and stuff that I heard them singing and all that. I didn't, uh, it probably got in there some somehow. Somewhere. Uh, to me, one of the the rhythmic end of it it would probably be more likely than me write a song about. It would be more likely that I would adopt some of the the rhythm that I was hearing, uh, which is slight. It's different. Sort of polyrhythmic yeah. sometimes, depending yeah. on who was playing what. Right, 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 right. I found another interesting thing. I was listening to one of the recordings, and I'm looking at what they have to play, and I'm hearing all these sounds. And of course, they're singing. Everyone's singing, and everyone's dancing. Uh, dance was also. also I, I don't think I heard uh, any of the traditional bands when they weren't moving. Uh, they. It seems to be a part of it. Uh, it was. We we did do a workshop where we were all seated playing, but. When they're performing, they're usually dancing as well. That was very enjoyable. The choirs would would stand and sing, but the uh, it was a part of part of the whole thing. And so the, the sound of their feet was part of the mm. of the of the rhythm. And uh, then I was hearing noises, and one of the uh, musicians, or maybe more than one, 
was uh, making bird noises and uh, animal noises <laughs> while it was going on. And it was, that was just, I was going, what is that? And it was, uh, I can't do the sound myself, but... Uh, so they, they bring nature into their, their music, and I thought that was great. Another thing, while they're performing and, and singing, if the women make a very... Uh, it's a ululation. It's a, it's, I can't do it. But it, 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 it's... it's, 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 it's you know, screaming uh, uh, and, and yeah. along with the music, because that becomes part of the sound, too. We saw a guy uh, who performed after uh, we did at the Alliance Francaise Music Festival. The two guys got up there, guitars, and this guy had... A homemade, wasn't a harmonica racket, held the, he took a plastic bottle and and cut off, you know, about four inches from the top, took the cap off, and stretched like cellophane across, and it was like a big kazoo, really. And he had that wired to himself with this uh, coat hanger while he's playing the guitar, and he's producing some sounds out of that thing you couldn't believe. One thing I have to talk about, is, I am writing a song. I, I take it back. I, I started the song. It's called The Man in the Pink Shag Hat. And it was about, we were going to play with these people up on the mountain, and we were driving through a pretty thick rain and couldn't find the, the place where we were going to meet them. And it was just kind of like a long barracks type of a building we were looking for. And we were lost, and the, the rain's coming down. We're kind of afraid to get stuck in the mud. And through the mist, this man appears, and he's got uh, this pink shag hat on. And it was... Like a, shag carpet? Yeah, like shag carpet. Like shag carpet. <laughs> and, and, I, and bright pink. Bright pink. And, and I was going, now there's a, you know, a look in a, a man who's comfortable in his own shiz. And he ended up being a, a charming guy, one of the leaders of the, one of the better choirs. <laughs> That hat is a, compelling to me, and he, he became almost like a, a religious figure to me. Did you get a picture of that guy? Yeah, I've got it, yeah. Can you show it to our listeners? Yeah. <laughs> I think he just did. <laughs> but the, uh, the people, they're joyous in, in, their, in their approach. And uh, one of the things, music is a community thing there. Uh, I, I saw very few people just playing one or two people. It was usually with a group. And when the choirs would, would sing and on, on the mountain, it was men and women. Uh, singing together, all singing different parts, and it was just part of their everyday life, a big part of it. Well, listen, I want to thank you, Greg, for coming in and sitting with Stephen and I today and talking about y'all's experiences there. 
it, it helps me to think about something, being aware of something going on in another part of the world that you just don't, unless you go there or you have an experience like this where you're exposed and someone tells you about it, that we just don't have. We kind of get insular into our own worlds and we tend to, yeah, we have a vague notion that there's other stuff going on on the planet. But I want to thank you for coming in and you and, and taking Stephen with you over to South Africa these last couple of times just to bring these insights here because I'm really impressed with the, the ingenuity of the human spirit of these people creating, creating these instruments out of just stuff that's around, you know, and that we wouldn't even think about that here in America for the most part. We're so used to going into a guitar center or guitar store and buying nice things right off the rack that are custom made and so forth for us to stop and think about what would you do if you had to create your own instrument. And I know there are people in America that have done it as well, but it's, it's just not our norm here. I want to thank y'all once again for coming in today and uh, sharing your experiences. Greg, best of luck to you and all your ventures around here. Thanks so uh, much. Hope to in- intersect with you uh, more often. Great. Thank you very much. Your, your podcast and Atticus Records and all the great things you're doing. Thank you, sir. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Next up on the Atticus Report, me and Stephen take a look at Paul Simon's epic classic album, Graceland. And then we both cast our votes to see if Graceland makes it into the music that's good for something Hall of Fame. So stay with us. We're going to be right back. In the meantime, we'd like to thank our guest today, U.S. diplomat Greg Engel, songwriter from Austin, Texas. We'd like to thank him for his visit and talking about the Arts Envoy Program at the U.S. State Department. We also want to thank him for taking Stephen with him to Southern Africa. Right now, we're going to take a little bit of the Grace land break with paul simon we'll be right back to talk about graceland the mississippi delta was shining like a national guitar i am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the civil war i'm going to graceland graceland to memphis tennessee i'm going to graceland Sockets, I'm looking at ghosts and empties. But I 
Welcome back to the Atticus Report. Stephen and I now turn our attention to inducting Paul Simon's Graceland into the Music That's Good for Something Hall of Fame. First released in August of 1986, Simon's Graceland was an instant critical and commercial hit. For Simon, artistically, the record galvanized a career resurgence after a period of personal struggles and a couple of commercial misfires. After hearing a bootleg cassette of South African Township music, Simon and his producer, Roy Haley, went to Johannesburg and recorded with South African musicians for a couple of weeks. The journey to Graceland had begun. Because of Simon's use of the South African musicians, upon its release, Graceland stirred considerable controversy because of the cultural boycott of South Africa for its apartheid policies. Despite the controversy, or perhaps because of it, Graceland achieved massive critical success, landing on numerous major best-of-year-end lists and receiving the Grammy for Album of the Year in 1987. Graceland the single was released the following year and won the Record of the Year at the following year's Grammys in 1988. Over time, Graceland has achieved U.S. sales of over 5 million units and has achieved worldwide sales of over 16 million albums. By all accounts, Graceland is one of the greatest albums of all time, and because of its social and political context, it is also one of the most important artistic achievements of the last 50 years. This record was the big, uh, big international event in the end. Uh, it was recorded in all over the world. Uh, part of it was recorded in South Africa, New York, L.A., London, uh, Louisiana. Uh, so I think that's part of what makes it so interesting, this big cultural event that it became. But mainly at the time, I remember just uh, it being popular uh, uh, opinion to boycott South Africa because of apartheid for good reason. But I, his way of thinking was, uh, well, we, the artist shouldn't have to suffer uh, over this stuff and, and, and that it didn't make sense to him, so he did what he wanted. And he got invited to go, actually. And, uh, and uh, of course, any time a cultural uh, collaboration like that is important and, and is good for diplomacy, <laughs> Music, oh, more, more music diplomacy. So it came up while I was uh, there with some of the African musicians I played with. I certainly understood what he found compelling and interesting in the music when I was there. Lesotho musicians worked on Graceland as well. You, you mentioned that moment of, of having, a, having a moment with people in Southern Africa about this album, this American album, and you name-checked all the different places that it was actually recorded, and it's amazing how how it it is in our consciousness so linked with South Africa, and yet it really is truly an American album. But as you were talking about having that moment with these Southern African musicians over there talking about this album from there in South Africa, and I'm thinking to myself, one of my first, probably my transformative experience with this particular record was the moment that I saw Paul Simon perform on Saturday Night Live with Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, accompanying him on the song Homeless. Homeless, homeless, moonlight sleeping on a midnight lake. Homeless, homeless, moonlight sleeping on a midnight lake. Homeless, we are homeless. 
We when I heard that performance on Saturday Night Live, it tapped something in me at a, at a soul level. I can only just explain it at a soul level that was transformational for me in the way that I saw music or that I imagined music from around the world in different cultures. And, you know, we talked about in the earlier segments the, the inventiveness of these South Southern African musicians that you encountered of making instruments out of just the stuff in their environment. They don't really have a lot of great resources and everything and that inventiveness. And there was something about Ladysmith Black Mambazo and the way they sung and the way their harmonies resonated. It touched a place in me that very few artists ever touch. Absolutely, that was a very powerful. He co-wrote that with the lead singer for Ladysmith Black Mambaza. Um, also, uh, a song that spoke to me was uh, The Boy in the Bubble. Too, with a Lesotho musician, uh, Tao A. Sika. <laughs> that song spoke to me on a lot of different levels. Look to a distant constellation that's dying in a corner of the sky. These are the days of miracles and wonder. Don't cry, baby, don't cry, don't cry. That rhythmic nature of music is also found in these uh, these various American roots that he's got sprinkled throughout this whole album and everything here, the Zydeco, that has a rhythm and a musicality. There's so much richness in the soil of the American music experience. It, that's one of the things, that, I, like I said a moment ago, it, that I find remarkable about this record is its ability to transcend and somehow seem global and, and, a, and belonging to the world, but still have these deep roots in, a, in American soil and South African soil but they don't really, they feel like worlds apart, but they also feel very connected and very familiar that that music at that roots level is just an example of the human spirit, the indomitability of the human spirit, the need to express itself. And as we've talked about before in the Atticus Report, music transcends borders. It's the universal language. Even in times of difficulty, conflict, war, cultural boycott in the case of Graceland, that music can go across those borders, it can break down those barriers, find what's in common that we have with one another, bring attention to an injustice, and have a hand in correcting that injustice just by bringing these issues to our consciousness and realizing our universality in all of this. That's the reason that for me, I nominate and cast my vote 
to put Paul Simon's Graceland in the Music That's Good for Something Hall of Fame. I'm with you all the way. Very good. We'll be right back after this. Thank you for hanging in here with us on the Atticus Report. Be right back after the musical break and tell you what's up on the next episode. On the next episode of the Atticus Report, we travel to Austin, Texas in search of music that's good for something. As we visit with Atticus Report co-host Stephen Doster and review his most recent record, Arizona. We'd also like to thank today's guest on the Atticus Report, Mr. Greg Engel, former U.S. diplomat and songwriter now living in Austin, Texas. Great stories of Southern Africa. We'd like to thank our staff here at the Atticus Report as well. Got a great team working for you. Our studio production team of Monty McWilliams and Cole Hoffpower. Our design and website guru, Kiana Jean-Tis. And our social media maven, Miss Carolyn Soames. We'd like to thank them all for their help on this. If you want to stay in touch with us here at the Atticus Report, you can find us at theatticusreport.com. Atticusreport.com. You can find us there. You can tweet us at Atticus Records on Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook, Atticus Records, facebook.com slash Atticus Records. We'd love to hear from you if you have comments about our shows. Stephen and I have had a great time today. We look forward to being with you next time. If you're interested in any of the music that you heard on today's episode of the Atticus Report by either Stephen Doster or Greg Engel, you can find that at dbmentertainment.com. That's dbmentertainment.com. We'd also like to thank them for sponsoring the Atticus Report along with Atticus Records. Thank you for listening to the Atticus Report. We want to encourage you to always be on the lookout for music that's good for something. She's gone.